With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Blog Talk Radio. at the University of Pittsburgh 
And it wasn't fly girl for a lot of people that keep thinking that. My first book was called Colored on White Campus. The second book was fly girl. Okay. Mm-hmm. So now the first book is now called College Boy and my Urban Griot series. And that's my other tag name, writing name, you know, so a lot of folks didn't get in trouble for me writing masculine and, you know, economic, not economic, but uh, more educational content uh, that, you know, sometimes women like to read their romance and relationship stuff. And if you're writing something else, you can get in trouble sometimes with the money people. So you had to try and figure out a way of doing both. And that's where I came up with the whole Urban Griot concept. Okay. Cool. You uh, definitely have have it together. Um, let's um, talk about the, um, how did you come up with all your titles? You have quite a few books. So how does that work with when you complete a manuscript or do you come up with your title first? Is it something that you just, wait and see what you get, or how does that work? Is it just taken from the story, from the concept of what the story's about? Yeah, that's a good question you're asking. I, I wrote poetry, too. I write, I've written over 600 poems, and you have some poets who write without a title. I'm not that poet. So I always start with a title and idea. I don't just see what happens. I, I always look at people and say, if you're trying to see what happens, how do you know where you're going? You know, so with my stuff, I always have a, a beginning, a middle, and an ending. And then it's just about working out the rest of the you know, organized details of what I want to say in that particular story. But it always starts with a subject. If I want to write about AIDS, I'm going to come up with a storyline that fits AIDS. If I want to write about Africa, I'm going to come up with a storyline that fits Africa. If I want to write about the moon, I'm going to come up with a storyline that fits the moon. So it's always going to start off with a title and a subject, and then I'll build the characters and the story around that. And that's why I've been able to write so many different types of stories, because I'm always interested in different subjects and not allowing the characters to control me, but I'm controlling pretty much what characters I want to write about based on what subject I want to write about. You know, so I'm not one of those writers that just, you know, throw a, a dart on the wall and figure he's going to do something, you know, that totally has no organization to it. I always start with organization. Okay. I um was looking at the, the programs that you offer for um, publishing, for authors that want to, I guess, work on getting a book deal. From their book, you had a lot of good programs on here. I was really impressed. Yeah, it's more uh, than just getting a book deal. It's also about self-publishing, and it's also right. about you know just tightening up your writing period. But uh, as a professional, you definitely want to make sure that individuals know it's a professional service. You know, sometimes, well, can you hook me up? Can you hook? Nah, this is a professional service. There's no hookups right. here. This is business. Right. The uh, publishing one on one, and then the um. The master's degree program, and then the uh, Ph.D. program, and then the go-to market program. Well, the publishing one-on-one is free. You know, that's that's why it's one-on-one. It's just the basics, you know. So I give that to people to let them know that it's a lot more complicated than what you think. Uh, and then once they can get past that, if they still need a lot of help and they won't get it on their own and you want to hire me, and you know, there's a fee involved. So once you move past the publishing one-on-one and into the master's degree, and then you start dealing with fees. And then uh, each one that goes up higher is going to be a higher fee. 
you know, because you're asking me to do more. Mm-hmm. And really, yeah. the master's degree, that's still a good, um, that's yeah. really not a bad price. Not at all. Yes, me. No, so that's you, not you a bad be, price. You'd be surprised. A lot of folks can't pay $250. Now, when I was writing my first books in the 90s, I was paying $500 just for editing, let alone my graphic designer, you know, let alone my print runs and everything. So these folks are trying to put books out, and I'm thinking, what do you think you're going to put books out with? you just going to chop down a tree and put together your own paper? Everything right. costs. You know, you can't have persons hired for nothing doing your editing and up all night with your book and your words. And so a lot of these individuals, I look at them as broke artists. When I was first trying to put my book out, I looked at it as business. So I knew I couldn't come to anybody without having a dollar fee. I would ask them immediately, how much would it cost for you to do this? You know, right. so i got to re-educate everybody. This isn't the free game here. This is business. If you try to put a book out that you can sell, then understand that every service you have provided for that book is going to be business. That's right. That's right, and and they don't. I don't think they even think about that uh, aspect. I have a lot of inboxes from Facebook uh, asking about um, getting on the show and different things. So I've come up with a, a little sponsorship fee, and it's pennies. It's really it's pennies. But uh, I got an email yesterday saying I was uh, told not to pay for any interviews. Well, your book just came out. It's not like your uh, Omar Tyree. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Where you've already um, proven yourself, you've already sold this many books, and it, no, nobody knows about your book. So you know what? That's fine. It's your decision. If you think that just by your book being on Amazon or you posted it on a couple of groups on Facebook that everybody's going to flood and buy your book, go right ahead. Mm-hmm. But um, I, I think they look over that aspect of, Okay, now you've done the book. Now it's complete. Now you have it in your hand. Now what you gonna do with it? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Anyhow, um, yeah, I experience that all the time. So, um, tell me this: How much of um, uh, what percentage of your books are normally realistic, or are they from your own life experiences? Is it a mixture of fiction, nonfiction? Well, you know, as a journalist, I've told people all the time that there's really no such thing as fiction. You know, if, if you create something based on humans, chances are it happens to somebody. So even if I make it up, unless I make up something that's totally, you know, if you're writing paranormal stuff that you don't want to believe or you're writing, you know, science fiction stuff that you don't want to, even if you're writing science fiction, you're basing it on Science, you know what I mean? That's no fiction when yeah. you're basing stuff on science, you know what I mean? Even the whole, you know, spacecrafts and flying around in space. We actually have stuff that can do that now. It just costs a whole lot of money to do it. You know, so when you look at those Star Trek movies and stuff like that, they're talking about hundreds of years in the future. Hundreds of years in the future, we won't be able to fly around like that. You know, so I look at all that stuff. There's no real thing. It's such called fiction where you're creating something that can't happen. If your mind can conceive it, that's the reality. You know, otherwise people can't believe it when they read it. You know, even with this whole, you know, witchcraft and floating around on blooms, you imagine that stuff so it becomes a part of your imagination. So with all the stuff that I write, I don't even write about, you know, brooms like Harry Potter and magic tricks and stuff like that. I'm writing about straight African-American humans. And so, yeah, it may, it may not be based on one individual person, but it's all real. And otherwise, you know, black people, we typically don't read a whole lot of make-believe stuff. That's just not what we're into. Right. So it may not, I may not sit you down and say, give me your story, 
But if I tell a story close enough to yours, you say, yeah, that's my story. It's not exact, but it's not exact to anybody unless you're telling an exact person's story, but you still get the point that these are the things that happen to humans. Okay. That makes a lot of sense, and um, you're definitely right. We don't. Well, you know, I'm going to tell you something else. You know, when people talk about, you know, the whole nonfiction thing where they're writing so-called real stories, the reality is, and I'm working on a ghost-written project right now as I'm speaking to you, the reality is if you sit down and do an autobiography with a person, do you know how much information they will tell you not to put in that book? And so when you put the book out, that ain't the reality. That's how much they allowed you to tell about their life. Mm. So at the end of the day, is that a lie or is that the truth? Yeah, yeah, oh, don't put that part in there. Oh, don't talk about him. Oh, I don't even want to talk about that. Oh, well, we're not going to go in there. Oh, well, my lawyer told me not to talk about that. Oh, well, my mother would flip out if I said that. And so in reality, if I write a book about an unknown person, I can be more honest than you're going to be in your autobiography because you're going to take out so many things that you don't want to damage your career or damage your family and all that kind of stuff. But if I make up a name, I can put all the truth in there. Because it don't hurt nobody. So reality is, the fiction is more fact than the whole lot of the so-called nonfiction stuff. Yeah. Wow. I never looked at it like that, but you got a yeah. point. Yeah. You definitely have a point. Yeah, um, for a long time, they called anything black fiction because they didn't believe that black people had any truth to tell in their stories. You know, roots is fiction, you know. That's classified as fiction. Mm. Roots. You know, wow. so how real is that? And then all those white books that left black people out of them, you know, those are factual books. One no such thing as black people. And, you know, that's crazy. Where we come from then? You know? And so a whole lot of times when you're dealing with these so-called nonfiction books, all it is is somebody's uh, idea of the story that they wanted to tell. They ain't necessarily all true. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Definitely uh, something to think about. Um, I have one more question, and then we have a caller that wants to come on. Well, you got a caller? <laughs> yeah. I'd never get callers. They'd be scared to death Are you of serious? Me. Yeah, they'd be scared no, to I death. Don't. I have a caller. Yeah, we get some every once in a while. A lot of times people, you're right, they don't want to call in. Yeah. I don't know why, but they don't, yeah. Um, but what I want to know is, what author um, have you been influenced by, if there are any? Yeah, I don't really talk about influence writers for the most part, but I'll I name my top five, you know, if I can do that. Uh, okay. Richard Wright is number one. He's the godfather of all African-American writing, and he took the work seriously, you know, with Native Son and uh, Black Boy and The Outsiders and so much content that Richard Wright put out in the Harlem Renaissance era. Uh, that really put the black voice on point, and his stuff was serious. It wasn't no step and fetch and stuff in his books. He, he was like, look here, black people have a voice, and this is what this voice needs to say, and we are serious people that take our lives seriously. And so I really, you know, look at him as that number one dude. Number two was a cat by the name of uh, Chester Himes, and he wrote a whole bunch of Harlem detective stories, and, you know, he left the country and went over to France and wrote a bunch of stories over there, a bunch of stuff that was just real honest and factual and embarrassing. But he he had the courage to be that honest about who we are as a people and what he wanted to write. So I look at Chester Holmes as number two. 
Number three is a street writer by the name of Iceberg Slim. Now, a lot of people like to read Donald Goins, but Donald Goins actually came after Iceberg, and he was influenced by Iceberg and inspired by Iceberg, but a lot of people don't get into Iceberg's work because it's a lot more complicated. If you read an Iceberg Slim book and then read a Donald Goins book, the Iceberg Slim books are way more complicated, and a lot of times people, they don't like to think as much when they read, so they like the easier flow of Donald Goins where the complicated uh, psychology and intelligence of Iceberg Slim was a little too much for a lot of people. But I go with the master, and the master is Iceberg. Okay, then I go with number four. Tony Morrison is another individual where a whole lot of new readers can't understand her. I don't know what she's talking about, but I had to read her in college, and I understood everything she was doing. That's a high level of writing, you know. And so Tony Morrison said, look, if you don't understand me, then you need to read some more books and come up to my level because I'm not coming down to yours. And I agree with her on that. Everything shouldn't be so easy. you got to think sometimes. And her books are excellent. I'm not saying that, you know, she got to keep writing about slavery days all the time, but her books are still excellent in, in the intellectual psychology and culture that she presents about who we are as a people and what we had to go through in this country. And then my number five is the guy who's still standing and still writing political work right now, cat by the name of uh, Walter Mosley. And he has written the most books for all contemporary writers, and he's written a whole lot of different types of books and a whole lot of uh, contemporary books as well as political books about, you know, black people and mystery and intelligence and the whole nine. And so he's one of the hottest cats from this new era. I think he started writing somewhere, or publishing rather, in the late 1980s. And so he's the hottest cat that's still here with us. And then you have Octavia Butler, who is no longer here, and she wrote black science fiction and black fantasy and really put us on the map on that level. And she wrote my favorite book, a book by the name of uh, Wild Seed, that I would love to see as a movie with, uh, what's the brother's name, Wesley Snipes and uh, Angela Bassett. I would love to see them in that Wild Seed movie for the people that's listening. It's called Wild Seed from Octavia Butler, my favorite all-time movie. So those are the people that I really look to as people that not really influence me, but definitely I love reading their work and what they do. I don't really look at anyone having an influence over me. I just uh, look at the craft and how I want to write each particular book and pretty much freestyle based on what I know about the craft of writing and what I want to do with each individual story. And so I'm my own man in that way. Okay, well said. Definitely well said. Um, I'm going to bring the caller on. Hello? Okay. Hello? Hi, do you have a comment or question for our guest tonight? Yeah, how you doing, Omar? First of all, uh, I just want to say congratulations on your newest book, Corrupted. Oh, thanks, partner. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. My name is Brian. I'm also from uh, the Charlotte area here. Um, also, congratulations on making it to the top 100 there. Um, i got a few questions for you. At what age did you first start writing books? Uh, the first book I wrote at the University of Pittsburgh, I was 19. The book was called Colored on White Campus. I was an, a student athlete who really was uh, disengaged by the whole scholar versus athlete question where a whole lot of athletes are getting scholarships, but they're not really studying classes. A lot of times they don't graduate. They don't really learn anything outside of their sport. So I really got political at that time and wrote my first book, Colored on White Campus, 
and I became real radical, pretty much like uh, Spike Lee's, uh, what's that, School Days, and then the Ice Cube character on uh, High and Learning from John Singleton's movie. I became that radical black man. And so instead of just running my mouth, I started writing them down in stories and putting it all together. And so that was the first book at 19, Colored on White Campus, because that's how I was feeling at the University of Pittsburgh. And so much information had dropped into my lap that I wanted to speak about. Wow, that's good. And you mm-hmm. good answers. <laughs> um, also, at what point did you become completely, I should say, dependent off of uh, your books? Like, did you have a day job for a few years and then your books took off and then you just strictly became a book author? Or have you always had a little side hustle? Yeah, and... Uh... What's that? October the 6th, 1992, I got my first uh, copies of Covered on White Campus, and that was a hard sell. Uh, it was an academic book. It was very didactic, where it was very noticeable that I was trying to teach people about racism and, you know, all the white and black issues, and it didn't have a great cover design on it. And so I was a rookie. I put out a yellow cover with etch-a-sketch kind of graphic design. It wasn't, wasn't great cover at all, so I had to force a lot of sales on that. And a lot of people bought that strictly because I was a 22-year-old dude pushing books and hustling in a positive way. And so a lot of people bought it who were just looking at me and saying, wow, this is positive what you're doing. But the second book, Fly Girl, that I put out in April 1993, I started doing a whole bunch of what they call black expo events, so sister expos or cultural expos where you set up a little table and they got thousands of people there to really see musicians, but in the meantime they walk past your table and might buy something. And I was a really aggressive salesperson at age 23, 24, selling this Fly Girl book, and that one really took off. And so what's that? October to April. Once I hit April and hit May and June, I sold so many copies of Fly Girl that I went ahead and went into business for myself. Before that, I was writing for the black press in Washington, D.C., and then after that, I just started doing freelance writing for the black press, and I was 100% publishing books from that point on. So that from 1993 on, I've been self-employed in the book industry. Mm. Wow, that's good. Wow. Tiffany, I don't know about you, but uh, you know what? I can hear the passion in his voice, and you know what? You could probably sell a book to just about anybody. You can probably sell a book to an illiterate person if you really wanted to. Nah, it didn't work, man. When you get around men, one of the things I found out, uh, and that's why Fly Girl took off, it was a book that the main character was a woman. And fortunately, I didn't know at the time, but I was just writing about you know, the type of sisters that I was highly attracted to as a teenager, and you couldn't afford them because they wanted you to take them on shopping sprees and stuff, you know. So I said, well, since okay. I can't afford these babes, I'm going to write a book about them. And it just so happened that me writing a book about a woman, the young women got involved, and they buy books and like books and like reading. Had I written a boy book, like the Colored on White Campus is based on a boy, it didn't sell well. My third book, uh, Capital City, I wrote about the whole drug dealing trade in Washington, D.C., when they called it the murder capital. That book didn't sell well as Fly Girl either because then it was masculine, it was more hardcore, you know what I mean? The women didn't get into it as much because it had all the men in it and the hard language and all that kind of stuff. And so the female book really took off. So I couldn't sell books to men. They're just not interested. A lot of times they'll tell you to their face, I don't read books like that. I buy this for my girlfriend. You should put it on tape or put it in the movie, and they tell you that in your face. You know, so no, nah, you can't sell books to everybody. Man, I was just fortunate that I had one book that took off with women, and that fly girl to this day 
made my career, no matter how uh, uh, qualified of a writer I think I am and no matter how many great books I think I've written, Fly Girl uh, really created the economic impact for my career because girls got into it and they loved it, and they've been reading that book now for 30 years. Wow. Wow. That's good. That's very good. And you are right about the men. Unfortunately, I would say about 80% of the women over the men that you decide to run into will um, read a book. Most men won't. And I realized that I had to change my gimmick because I actually forced myself to go to men, especially when there's couples out there. I don't want to disrespect anybody. So when I see a couple out there, I go to the man first because I don't want him thinking, you know, that I'm trying to talk to his woman or whatever, you know, and I'll mention my book, I'll give him my business card and everything, you know, and I'll be like, hey, look, if you don't read, then, hey, maybe you might want to buy this autographed book for your woman, you know what I mean? Hey, they like the sentimental gifts, and you don't get no more personal than that. So I had right. to change up my gimmick a little bit, but I did run into a few men that did read, or they're like, you know what, I appreciate your honest hustle, and I'm going to buy your book just to support. So I have had a few of them, but I have been forcing myself more so to go to men, and I've been forcing myself to actually go to Caucasians, not just black women, but go to Caucasians as well. And, you know, and I don't try to be a used car salesman of books either. I don't tell them what they want to hear. You know, I tell them the truth, you know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've been really pushing myself to, you know, see if I can sell to just about anybody. Mm-hmm. But you are right about the men. Most of them don't want to read and don't want nothing to do with the book. So. <laughs> Well, that's good that you got, you know, your mojo ready to sell anybody because that's how you have to be. You got the economic hustle down pack. Yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, hey, I got to strive. And, hey, I got you to look up to. Um, there's a few other people that I look up to, you know, as far as out there that's writing books and everything. And I also like to, um, you know, talk about a lot of the unknown authors out there because at one time every great author started off as an unknown author. So um, do you have any words of advice for all the unknown authors out there that's trying to make it? Well, keep writing and keep hustling. You know, if nobody knows who you are, you got to make sure they know who you are. I think, uh, what's her name, uh, uh, Gordon, what's the big mouth uh, sister out of New York that's always doing the radio stuff, uh, dropping dimes on everybody, all the, Wendy Williams. Wendy Williams once Wendy called Williams, me. Yeah. She called me the king of self-promotion because I was always pushing and pushing. And I'm really an introvert, but when it's time to sell a book, hey, man, I ain't got time to be quiet and silent and shy. You know, I got (laughs) to let you know that I did something, you know what I mean, that you need to jump up on. So, you know, for all the people that want to be book writers, you got to get out of that shy state unless you want to hire somebody else to be your hype man because unless that book has such dramatic material in it where it's going to sell itself, and some people are doing that. They put these dramatic covers on it. They put the dramatic content on every page, and then the content sells itself. But for the most part, you have to be able to get out there and, and, and hustle and grind and talk to people to sell your work, just like you're saying. And the reality is a lot of the men who do buy books are, are individuals who write as well. You know, like you buying books, you're a writer. Me buying books, I'm a writer. So I find that a lot of men who are into, you know, buying some of our work, a lot of them are writers and artists as well, so they understand what we're going through, and they're always looking for new knowledge themselves. Uh, so that's just the reality of the situation where you get more women that just love to read, period. Right, right. And I tell you what, I, I, I believe you, you are a man of your words. You do hustle and you do promote because I'm actually one of your uh, Twitter followers, and I tell you what, man, I probably get 50 to 100 tweets with your name on it a day. 
So hey, <laughs> one tweeting away. That's good. <laughs> tweeting. And I understand the concept of it as well because, you know what, when people look at their uh, tweets, you don't know what's on their mind at that moment. You don't know if they've seen that tweet. You don't know maybe one of their friends might be looking at it. But it takes a lot of tweets for somebody to finally come around and be like, oh, you know what, you're right, you know. I'm going to go ahead and yeah. read that book. Or maybe they meant to get it and they forgot something else came mm-hmm. up. So the way you flood your tweets out there, you'll still hit them later on down the road. And, hey, that's why you're in the top 100 right now. So yeah. Doing what you do. Thanks, partner. Well, thank you so much for calling in. Thank you. Okay, I have um, another caller. Sure. That wants to come on. Hello. Hi. Hi. You have a question hi. or comment for our guest? Yes, I do. Uh, hi, hi, Tyrese. I, I just have a, I have a question for you. I noticed that um, you you had, you established your own publishing company at a young age, and that is phenomenal. But I understand how you say that you got to push and self promote. But sometimes you got there's a writer in in all of us. And sometimes people just don't know where to start. Are, are, do you have any writers' workshops that are trying to? I know that you are um, an advocate for uh, for getting literacy uh, to, uh, handled. But do you have workshops that are available for aspiring writers as well? I have one-on-one consultations that you can go to. And we talked about that earlier in the show. Go to omartyree.com or email me at omar, the number eight, tyree at aol.com. And I have consultations. Publishing 101 is the free uh, tidbits that I give you on the industry and writing. And then you have the master degree program where you get uh, one-on-one consultations for the rest of your life. And then you have a Ph.D. program where I get you an agent and get you uh, publishing contacts. And then you have a ghostwriting program where that's a lot more expensive. So we'll see how to plug that if you want me to write your book with you. That's totally different because you ask me to do a whole lot more work. But I do start off with the basic consultation where I tell you all the ins and outs of the publishing industry. And you can get that through my website or emailing me directly at Omar number 8 Tyree at AOL. Okay, well, thank you. That is so helpful. One more question. What are your thoughts when it comes to um, electronic books versus traditional books? Well, electronic books right now with a new what's happening, uh, you can get paid every month by it. Uh, You can put out whatever you want. There's nobody in front of you, no gatekeeper system, no touring that you have to do. But, of course, the traditional method, you get the tour, you get to see the physical book, you get advances from publishers, uh, and it's just the, the typical state where you have people right there in front of you who are buying books, getting them signed, and you feel that completeness. Uh, versus the e-book, you may not feel the completeness, even though you have something that people are reading because it's all, you know, online and whatnot. So it's not that physicality of you shipping books and boxing books and signing books and selling books right to people where you're collecting money right in front of them. You know, the Internet thing and the e-book thing is all about e-book money coming in where, you know, it just comes right into your account, but it's set up where you can make money every month. Uh, and, and where the traditional books, you 
you may get an advance, and then after that you'll get royalties unless you put out your own book where you can sell your own traditional uh, book softback or hardback and, and do do the regular book signings and events that I used to do when I first started. So it, it's just two different fields, but, you know, one, you got to do a lot more work and you need a lot more validation and a lot more money. That's the traditional route. And the e-book route, you don't need as much money, you don't need the validation, but you don't have the physical content that so many people are used to having that validates that I actually written the book and I have it on my bookshelf and here it is and you can pass it to people. So it's just two formats, but you know, at the end of the day, if you want to make money and you want to get your word out there, you can use either one. I see. Well, thank you so much, Mr. Tyree. It was good talking to you, and, and I'm I'm so honored to have uh, had this conversation with you. Thank you. Oh, thanks for calling. Thank you. Wow, and you say you never get uh, callers. Well, they show calling in tonight. I got um, one more caller. Yeah, this is pretty good. Hello. Hello. Hi. Hi, this is um, Keith. I just per- I actually just purchased his master's program. Okay. Okay, Ooh. then. Congratulations. Based on the conversation here. So I'm oh, excited wow. about that. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So I just, uh, yeah. I'm writing um, a middle grade book. Um, there seems to be, like, a lack of books for that age, and there are two. There are actually two black women that are writing, but they're writing for white children. So <laughs> I decided to kind of fill that gap, and I'm writing one for. Afri- I mean, it's multicultural, but the main character is African American, and the the other character is um, Latino. So I wanted to kind of fill that gap, and I'm really excited about having the opportunity to actually discuss that with you. Right, I have a book called Twelve Brown Boys that I put out with. Uh a company called uh, Just Us Books out of uh, New Jersey, and then uh, was picked up by Scholastic Books, which, of course, they're the juggernaut of children's books. And it's right. for the same middle readers class between, what, 9 years old and 12 years old, I think like 3rd yep. grade and 5th grade. And when I first tried to publish children's books, you know, every publisher I sat down with, they were trying to push me into that marketplace because I actually wanted to write younger books, you know what I mean, for the beginning readers because I wanted to start African-Americans off at the youngest ages. And when you're talking about middle readers, at that point they're already reading, they should be reading, but they're competing with television, they're competing with video games, they're competing with outside. So I wanted to get kids before they even start competing with that stuff when they're infants, when they're really, you know, three and four years old, when they're first learning the language, you know. But a lot of the publishers, yeah, they push you to that middle reader thing because the school systems can buy the books instead of the parents. And so what I figured out is that the publishing industry is so terrified of African-American parents not having an interest in buying books that they push you to the middle readers and then try to sell your books to the school system thinking that they're going to have a much higher number of school systems that will buy bulks of books versus trying to sell books to parents who they feel are more interested in buying music, video games, shopping, and eating. And trust me, I had to grow up against that same situation, and it is very hard to sell books to African-American parents. I hate to say it, but it's the truth. You know, and so that book, 12 Brown Boys, is out in the from Omar Tyree. I called myself Mr. Creative for children's books. 
But, yeah, you're going to have a real tough time, but it needs to happen, so keep doing it. But get ready for a battle. Okay. Well, I, that I did not know. I didn't, you know, I've done a lot of research, but I haven't. I didn't hear that, and I guess I wouldn't hear that unless I talked to somebody, you know, that, that's been through it, someone, someone that's of the same persuasion. Um, so, well, thank you. Thank yep. you for that. Um, so I look forward to talking to you. I hey, sent you an email. Yep. Okay. You got it. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Wow. I'm excited. Great. I'm glad somebody took advantage of that because, like I had just said, that's a really great price to have uh, one-on-one advice with you and find out which direction they need to go with their book project. And, yeah, that's awesome. Um, A lot of writers at your level would probably not even offer something like that or it would be very, very, very extremely expensive to even have any type of contact with you concerning advice for a um, publishing your book. But um, I'm going to take a break, real quick break, and I'll be right back. All right. It seems like just the other day that we hooked up. I was driving, you was walking, and I pulled you up. From that moment on, I knew you were the one. I was single, you were lonely, and we fell in love. We didn't talk for hours about anything. Accomplishments and just um, 
for the most part, the advice that he has for up-and-coming writers who are thinking about or who are already out there or thinking about publishing their book. It's just really, really, really great, great advice. Um, I'm sitting here taking notes myself. Um, So we're just going to jump back into the conversation. Now, I have another, I think we have another caller. I'm not sure if this is someone that we had on and they may have hung up. Let me just double check. Are you on with me? Can you hear me? Hello? Yeah, can you hear me? It's Omar. Okay, this you. I got yeah, you. I had I, when you had your little break, I had to call on back because my phone, was, the charger was heading low. So okay, so you on a different area code? Yeah, I'm just on a different number, cell phone. Okay, got you. Yeah. I need to okay. call back again? No, 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 no. We do. We no, okay. we good. I just thought you were another caller. Um, I'm yeah. going to go forward with the um, just a few more questions I have. How much traveling do you do with your books, book signings and tours, and how much are you moving around? How much am I saying again? How how much traveling do you do with your books? Traveling? As, yeah, yeah. When you have a new book out that's really selling, you know, you can travel as much as you want to, but for the most part I travel more with speaking events. You know, you have paid-for speaking mm-hmm. events that I've been doing for a number of years where, you know, once you become an expert in your field and you talk about a lot of different subjects, which I've been doing for years, you know, my uh, degree is in journalism. So I'm constantly hit on current events and affairs and politics and African-American culture and you know, literature and a whole bunch of other topics that I jumped into, you know, as a journalistic writer. And so I've been speaking at a lot of different events, and that's where I travel even more so than, you know, just the book tours. The book tours, you may do 14 cities, but I've spoken at like 50 colleges and universities, high schools and whatnot, organizations, and that's all around the country. But, however, since about 2009, uh, when the economy, you know, hit a real stiff point, a lot of the colleges, you know, they kind of cut back on their budgets for a lot of programs. And so I do probably half of what I used to do uh, before 2009. And so even with this month here, which is Black History Month, typically I would do 10 colleges in Black History Month of February alone, 10 colleges. But now I'm down to about three Three or four different events in Black History Month. I have one event tomorrow. I'm going to be at the uh, University of uh, Penn State at Harrisburg campus. You know, and now I have, uh, I think I have a Florida A&M event coming up in March. But typically I would have 10 college events just in February. So it's really come down with the economy. But you can travel as much as you want to travel depending on, you know, if you can set up book events across the country, you know, but with with, uh, a tour set up by the publisher, Right now, with the economy as it is, we're not getting as much tours as we used to uh, when mm-hmm. the times were hot in the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. So the economy can change a whole lot of that. Wow. Okay. Um, I'm really uh, impressed with the, the Urban Literacy Project. Right. You have um, so much information on your website. I mean, you know, I look at a lot of websites during the day, and it's like, it, it looks small, but you have some really, really great information on here concerning uh, literacy. What are the five key components of literacy? I don't think people really 
know this stuff or even think about this, the process of communication. I mean, this is good stuff. Like, wow. So um, I definitely want to commend you on that, the existing reading and writing curriculum. This is good stuff. So um, I will definitely be going back myself. I'm taking notes now because you have some great – every time I have an author of your um, level – on my show, I always I take notes with all my guests, but it's always mm-hmm. something when you hear it from the horse's mouth, you know, from somebody who's been out there. Because I have a lot of stuff I say, well, I want to do this, I want to do that. So it always kind of puts me back like, uh-uh, you need to do this, this, and this. You need to research this. You need to take a look at this and think about this. So um, it was definitely a lot of uh, great information and um, advice, great advice, great advice for new authors. So I definitely want to uh, just just give you uh, kudos. Really, I mean, I, I really you got a lot. You got it going on. Best-selling mm-hmm. author, journalist, reporter, poet, screenwriter, songwriter. You write songs too. <laughs> uh, playwright, event host, lecturer, blogger, publishing consultant, and literacy advocate. Who has won 2001 NAACP Image Award for Outstanding Literature and Fiction? 2006. I mean, I could go on and on, <laughs> but um, mm-hmm. this is really amazing. And um, well, like I said, I'm, I'm an old man. I've been out here for a minute, so I'm no longer in my 20s. And if you're still busy, and those accolades built up, so a lot of times when I do events, I told them mm-hmm. to read a short bio and not, you know what I mean, 20 years of stuff. You know what I mean? Yeah, Unless you yeah. haven't done anything, 20 years of stuff can really add up when, you know, you're trying to introduce somebody. You know what I mean? So I try to tell people, look, just read off a couple of things and I can get started. Yeah. <laughs> Instead of trying to read my whole bio, because if you're going to read all the way back to my college years, you know, I've been busy. Right. You have, and that's a good thing. It's a great thing. That's a great thing. Yeah, we need more of read, that in you know, like, society. You know, you know, Quincy Jones is 75, and now there's somebody trying to read all the albums and records he didn't produce. You know what I mean? So you right. probably just say, oh, he's a producer. You probably named like three or four. But that man has been producing albums for like 50 years. Yeah. You know, so yeah. you don't read no bio of Quincy No bio would be long enough. <laughs> you know, so he probably say, look, just say it's Quincy Jones, the international producer, let me go on out and do my, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Uh, Quincy Jones, are you kidding me? Quincy Jones has been producing forever. You know, so that's that's. I'm not saying I'm Quincy Jones, but yeah, you get the point. Where 20 years, a lot of years of 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 steady content. Yes, absolutely, and successfully, because we can get out here and, and attempt to do some things and not always be a success at it. But um, definitely, you've proven yourself and. Um, Great job, great job, and that's one thing to um, have even the opportunity to do what you love to do. So mm-hmm. that's a great thing. Um, just one more thing: um, what advice would you have for other writers? Well, and what would you want to say to your? And what would you want to say to your readers? Yeah, you got to market and promote. You know, more than anything, understand your craft. You know, I, I was uh. Uh, I had one person that was under our program with consultation, and she actually told me that she wanted to write a book. She had finished the book. We were trying to get her an agent, and we were editing her content and trying to tell her 
a lot of great things that she needed to listen to as far as putting books together, and she kept trying to make the comment, well, maybe my book is just different from everyone else's book. <laughs> and she's talking to me, and first, I done read hundreds of books and published it for years. I know exactly you need to do is put the book together. And, you know, it all came out, Tiffany. The woman finally said, you know, I, I don't really like reading a lot of books. I don't read a lot of books. And I said, you got to be kidding me. You want to be a published author and you don't even read books. Yeah, that's crazy. You know, that's like saying you're going to be a radio host and you don't listen to radio. That makes no mm-hmm. sense at all. Right, you want to be a movie right. star and you don't watch movies. You know, I mean, that's like you want to be a musician, but you don't listen to music. I'm thinking, how are you going to want to be a book writer and don't read books? It just don't make sense. You have to know what you're doing, the trade, and, and how you make that trade work by studying what other people are doing and mastering it and then getting your own style based off right. of what you know already. You can't just start from scratch and you don't know what you're doing, and, and then you're going to tell a qualified author that's been in the trade for 20 years that, oh, well, maybe my book is just totally different from everyone else's. <laughs> I said, right. boy, you got to be kidding me. Yeah, so if you let's say something again to the writers, you got to love reading and writing, period. I read every day. Now, I don't read books every day. I read newspapers every day, which is my trade, magazines every day, and then I'll get to the occasional book when I get to it. But I'm constantly reading and, and, and watching for style and grammar and, you know, and flow and voice, all the things that become a, a style of the, or the craft and the writing, you know, a person's voice tone and, you know what I mean, how, how they put the sentence together. You have to be studying that if you want to be a writer, you know, and, and the only way you're going to study that is by reading other people and what they're doing with the language. That's right. That is definitely right. Um what for you? What would be the most challenging thing when it comes to writing? With everything that you've done, what what would be one of your um, challenges, if any? Well, now that I'm, I'm at like the the end of the career instead of the beginning of the middle, I would say trying to write for audiences would be the hardest thing. I think when I first started writing, you're fresh and new, so anything you give the audience is fresh and new. But after I've written 20 books now, it gets really hard to keep trying to figure out what does the audience want, what have I not written yet, what do I want to write, what do I'm excited, you know, what am I excited about, what is the audience going to be excited about with me, and it just gets harder and harder and harder with each book unless, you know, you tap into giving the audience exactly what they want, and hopefully they want what you want to offer them because sometimes you can end up, fighting yourself, wanting to write a book that you want to write versus wanting to write a book that the audience wants to read. And that's where a lot of African-American content has now become, you know, even urban content, uh, erotic content, or Christian fiction because those are the audiences who have, you know, stood the test of time. And all the other types of writing has kind of fell to the wayside because now it's about the dollars. And if you can't validate the dollars from any other type of writing, then the black erotica, the black street lit, and the black Christian fiction are the only three that are still there. Uh, outside of what they're doing now, they're trying to do a lot of celebrity books. The celebrity tell-all books is the new what's happening, particularly after, you know, Steve Harley put out his uh, Think Like a Woman or what's it, Think Like a Woman, Act Like a Man, or Act Like mm-hmm. a Woman, Think Like a Man, whatever <laughs> it is. And he mm-hmm. first put out that book to 2 million copies in hardback, and now every publisher is trying to find the next gold of celebrity author, which they're really not authors, but they put books out and, and they can get a lot right. of publicity. 
and sell those books. And so that's just a new trend going on right now. You know, for the most part, you, know, you got to figure out a way to survive it. And so, yeah, when you get to a point where you've written X amount of books, it's really hard to keep trying to invent new content that everybody's going to go crazy for that you go crazy for too. Wow. Great, great, great advice. Uh, again, I thank you so much for even coming on, taking the time out of your busy schedule tonight. Um, great advice. I got three pages of notes here <laughs> so I can go back for my own because I'm work, right now, uh, working on my own book about my okay. life. So, yeah, yeah. It's been sitting for about ten years, so um it's it's time. Well, we, we hope we hope your life is extra dramatic if you putting it out for the black audience. <laughs> that that's what they have. Well, it was, and that's the thing. It's the the numbers game. It's about the numbers game now. So if you're putting out a book where you're not as much concerned about the numbers, and you're putting it out for yourself, then mm-hmm. you can get away with that and be happy that you put a book out and somebody's reading it. But in the publishing mm-hmm. game, which has always been the case, if those numbers don't validate a big publishing house putting that book out, they are not touching it right now. And that's just mm-hmm. the deal. You know, it's, it's a new economy, and nobody can afford to put out content that's not going to sell. And so it's become real hard now uh, to get published contracts on work that we used to be able to publish 10 years ago. Now it's just hard to put out because the numbers game says that, look here, we're wasting our money and time putting this book out if it's not going to do the numbers that we need to pay our bills at this publishing house. So then, would you say that would be that would be a uh, a writer that would need to self publish? Oh yeah, a whole lot of us have to self publish. And in fact, you know, the reality is, a lot of self publishing authors have made it hard for the contract authors because now, if you go to a bookstore and you got thirty self published authors right next to an established author, and the established author has a hardback book for twenty five dollars. But you can get three brand new books and a package, three for twenty five, and you don't have any loyalty to the traditional old school writer that's with a publishing contract, and you say, Hell, let me go ahead and get these three books for twenty five dollars that I'm buying a, a hardback, one hardback for twenty five. And so what's happening now, like a whole lot of self published authors have been taking dollars away from the established authors and then that makes a lot of publishers say, Well, we can't put out established authors like we used to. And so now it's, it's cut a whole lot of contracts that we used to have in the 90s. And, you know, people say, oh, it's enough room for all of us. No, that's not real economy. In the real economy, you can't have 12 grocery stores on one block. Somebody's not going to make money. That's just the reality, <laughs> you know. In fact, everybody on that block's going to end up losing money because you're going to have some people that's loyal to one grocery store and people that's not loyal to the other, and then you're going to have to say, what grocery store is selling the thing I want? Which grocery store is giving the best discount? And then it just gets crazy. And that's why a lot of stores fight with each other for space. You know what I mean? As they say, location, location, location. They mm-hmm. fighting over a customer base in dollars. And so we're doing the same thing in the bookstores. A lot of people won't be as honest about it like I am, but that's what's happening. The reality is a whole lot of self-published books have gotten in the way of making real dollars and cents. You know, and they ask, somebody has to say it, but that's the reality. So I don't stop the hustle. I let everybody hustle and do that thing, but that is the reality. If you end up sitting next to 20 people selling books, you will not make as much money as, as you would if you were sitting next to three people selling books. Okay. Wow. Great information from uh, 
Mr. Omar Tyree. Um, we definitely um, support your um, – now, your book that just came out is Corrupted. Correct. And that's actually about the publishing industry. And I talk about all the numbers games in that vehicle because you have editors. Watch this now. That book's about editors and publishers and authors. And you have editors who they have to keep their job. Now, watch how this works, Tiffany. If you have all these self published authors and you got an editor who signs up a new Jack Ryder who he thinks is hot and he gives that author $100,000 as an advance. But now with that $100,000, you got to sell at least twenty, thirty thousand books for them to recoup that money back. Now he puts that book out, and your author is competing against 75 self-published authors. And so instead of him selling 20-something thousand books, he sells about 12,000 books. So now you got 8,000 remainder books, and he can't move those books. So now you got to, as they say with the remainders, you end up selling those books. For five dollars, six dollars. I try to go to the bookstore. You see the price slash there. Now there's no way the right guy can make his money back. Now the publisher's looking at the editor and say, "I thought you told me this guy was the big cheese, and we didn't give him a hundred thousand dollars." Now editors are losing jobs, baby, and that's the way it works. So a lot of black editors over the last five years have lost their jobs at the publishing houses because they just can't compete. And the publisher says, look, the black trade is not making the money that we used to make. We can't sign these people. And so now the editors who are left over are scared to death. And if they sign you, they got to know that that book is going to fly. So now instead of signing regular authors, they want to sign somebody from a reality show. They want to sign a musician. They want to sign a movie star because they know that they can get publicity. Wow. And that's what you're going with. And, you know, that's, that's reality. So you hear it from a horse's mouth. I know exactly what's going on. you got editors who are scared to death of signing anybody because they know if I sign the wrong person and the numbers don't fly, I'm going to lose my job. And that's what I'm writing about and corrupted. You know, new people coming in, old people being pushed out the door, and editors fighting to survive for their lives, particularly black editors because white folks are still selling a whole lot of books and making a whole lot of money, including e-books, because they simply have more people than we have who read. Mhm. And they got people making millions off these e-book things. Uh, me, personally, I do like the traditional book in my hand, but then again, it's so convenient to just click a button and have the book right in front of you. So, yeah. like but you, you say, it's two different formats. You still have to yeah. pay for those gadgets to do that. Well, you know what? Them. No. I have it. I have It comes right on my laptop with the Kindle yeah. app. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's so. the app that I, that I was promoting as well. You're right. I, I promote those apps as well on my Twitter all day long to make sure that people that don't have, you know, the facilities can get it anyway. Yeah. Yep. So, and, yeah. Um, so corrupted is 25 chapters, 700 total pages of hardcore insider information on the publishing trade. And I don't I don't pull no punches in that joker. It's harder and harder and harder. Okay. <laughs> all the real all the real back all the real backfighting that goes on when you're doing them daggone publishing deal and how folks can be pushed out the pushed out the door too if they're not selling numbers. You know? Wow. Great information. I, I didn't even know that part of the game, but uh, you learn something new every day. Yep. So, um, 
I thank you so much for coming on. I look forward to having you back. Um, I will definitely be supporting your up-and-coming projects and anything that you have going on. Um, We definitely support you 100%. And um, you enjoy the rest of your evening. I will be purchasing uh, Corrupted. Back to that tonight. Yeah. (laughs) All right. Thank you so much. Okay, and I will continue to advertise um, your um, your different um, packages that you offer for the um, authors. That's, you that's got awesome. it. Omar Okay, thank you. Yep. All right, now. Okay. Bye. Wow. Omar Tyree, um, great, 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 great guest. Um, so much information about the publishing game that personally I didn't even know. And um, it's one thing to have someone who has been there, done that uh, numerous times. So you learn from experiencing um, publishing and self-publishing and being under a major publisher and like he said, you gotta if they give you a an advance check for a hundred thousand dollars, you have to be able to um sell so many books to back up the money that was already paid to you. And then if you can't, the editors they losing their jobs. So it's like, wow, it's it's something. Um great, great, great information. If you missed it, feel free to go back and listen. Um you can always go back and listen to any of our interviews. And um, we're gonna, I'm going to take a short break, and I'll be right back.
um, even if you I don't have a Kindle, but they have the Kindle app where you can download it straight to your laptop. So, um, yeah, it's definitely something to think about. Um, like I said, if you missed the show, feel free to go back and listen. Really, really, really great information. Uh, it really makes you sit back and think. When you hear from a author who is uh, at his level and has done so much and has so much experience and can probably look at a just even a sample of a manuscript and advise you on which route to go, I mean, why not take that advice? They've already been out there. They've done it, you know. So even with myself, I still haven't published my book, but I'm definitely taking um, the advice of the educated authors and writers um, and their wisdom and their um, advice. It really it means a lot, and it can definitely take you a long way. So, um Definitely, if you get a chance, go back and listen to the show. Um, if you're thinking about putting out a book, if you're already in the process, I'm working on mine now, doing my little own personal editing before um, I finish. I'm, I'm trying to do at least 20,000 words for the first book, so which is not hard to do. Um, but um, it definitely it, it's not just about writing it down. you got to have a concept. you got to know what audience you're marketing to. you got to know about your uh, writing style, your voice. I mean, he named everything. I was like, wow. So just every time I hear that from an established author with so much wisdom, it's like, wow. It just makes you sit back and think, rethink your whole plan. So um, we definitely want to um, keep you guys informed and um, excited about your um writing projects, whatever you have going on. If you know somebody who's writing a book, don't ever just, you know, if it's your passion and it's something that you want to do, don't ever just get discouraged to the point where you just, oh, you know what, forget it, I ain't going to do that. And he also mentioned that also. Everything shouldn't be so easy. You know, some things you should have to read. Sometimes you you should have to think about some things. It shouldn't be just a piece of cake. So uh, with that being said, don't be discouraged when it comes to um, completing your manuscript, you know, getting that first part of it out. Myself, I'm, my mind is not going to be in one book, but I want the first one to be successfully completed, you know, and not just to put, say I put it out, but I, I want it to be with some sort of um, some sort of uh, juice. I want it to have some kind of strength to it, so... Um, don't be discouraged. Stay, stay, stay encouraged. If anything, uh, go back. Feel free to go back and listen to a couple of our um, interviews. We had Zane on. We had uh, Nikki Turner, and they all, from their own experience, speak about what they learned. So it's just something to take and just carry along with you through your journey of writing. I would never say. Um, it's hard or it's difficult, but everything is not going to be easy, especially something that's, that you want to be successful. Not to say that it's hard, but uh, it causes you to think. So with that being said, um, continue to um, watch our posts on Facebook and Twitter. Um, I do have my site um, 
I'm advertising. I'll be making some changes on that. Uh, BlackWriterSpace.ning.com, and it's BlackWriterSpace with two S's. So continue to watch that. I'll, I've been posting the links on Facebook and Twitter to uh, let people know to make sure that they join. Go on and make your free profile while it's free because it won't be free for long. I'll be charging a membership fee pretty soon. We have, I think, 340, 343 members, I think, now. So it'll probably be um, uh, free of charge to join for the next week or so. After that, probably beginning in March, it will be a membership fee. Feel free to email us with any ideas you have at uh, blackwriterspace with two S's at gmail.com. Um, I'm offering marketing packages to um, post, have your information posted on our blog. So we have weekly packages. We have packages for to come on with an interview, which is for a very, 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 very minimal uh, fee. You know, it, it does cost. Once you get your book out there, it costs to advertise your book. It costs for exposure. Even when you put your book on Amazon, they're not going to sell your book for free. They do get a percentage. So um, just some things to think about. Once you have your product out there, now what are you going to do with it? So, um, And it's not going to sell itself because even with purchasing uh, a domain and a, and a website, you still have to get on and have some sort of marketing going on or some sort of something, and it's not all going to happen on Facebook. So I know it's it's a hundreds of groups and uh, like pages, and and that's fine. But um, if you're really serious about marketing your book, you got to get out there and do some footwork. You got to get out there and do some book signings. Um, you And if you have the time, you can be your own PR and publicist. There's plenty of different um, uh, marketing websites and, and PR um websites online that you can look and study and, and do the stuff yourself. But if you don't, you can always pay somebody like me to post for you and, and uh, Twitter, set up your Twitter account, set up your Facebook account. These things is, are, are what we need um, in today's society. We have everything. A lot of stuff is online now. So, um, and, and as well as footwork. You've got a lot of authors, they still carry their books in the trunk. I know one of my authors, Darren Lowry, he don't leave home without some books. Every time I see him, oh, yeah, I got some books downstairs. You know, so um, it's not really about uh, just sitting back and it's not going to come knock on the door. It's really not. And um, like one of our callers said earlier, one, um, even authors like Omar Tyree, they had to start somewhere. So you have to start somewhere, and it's just a matter of how far you want to take it. So um, with that being said, stay encouraged, and um, we are definitely here to support you. If you have any questions, feel free to email us, hit us on Facebook, hit us on Twitter, and we are going to conclude tonight's show. We I'm not sure if I'm having a show tomorrow. I don't have a guest so, um, but I know we will be back Friday. I have a guest, Brian L. King. He's a um, an uh, urban literature author. Um, he is on Twitter and Facebook as well. 
So we'll be chatting with him on February 17th, which is Friday at 7 p.m. And um, thank you so much for listening. I do want to say I appreciate our listeners for even taking the time to listen to us. And we have a couple of regulars out there, even those of you who just tuned in. Like tonight, we had a, a listener, and she's like, I just purchased um, Omar Tyree has packages on his website pertaining to uh, publishing and consulting. So he has the one package, it's the master's degree, and that's the name of it, and it's like 249 regularly priced 495 She's like, I just purchased that just from listening to the show. So I was like, wow, I was excited about that because um, people need, they need help. And what better place to get it from than uh, an established author like Omar Tyree? I mean, come on, you know. So we may not always agree with what our elders have to say, but they've been there, they've done it just like our how our kids look at us. You know, they don't want to listen to us. They think they know it all. So, um, but I was really excited about that. She said she had just purchased it online, just listening to the show. So that's our whole purpose here is to help people get to where they're trying to get to to accomplish their goals as a writer and to be the best writer and efficient writer that you can be. So, um, again, we're here to support. And feel free to reach out to us at any time. Uh, we're going to conclude tonight's show, and we will be back Friday. Take care and God bless.
Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at ChumpaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. VGW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus.